This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. My name is Germ, this is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. Patrick Fagan, thank you for joining Hello. me again in the trenches. Great to be back. It's been a while, hasn't it? What, a year? Yeah, I think it's been almost a full year, yeah. So when I last spoke to you, you were in the UK, then somewhere in between you went to Mexico and now you're back in the UK. Yeah, yeah. So I went on kind of an extended honeymoon, trying to escape the, the boots of COVID uh, tyranny in the UK. Um, so I traveled Europe a bit and went to Mexico uh, and now I'm back. I like how you how you said Mexico to escape. And then I, when you and I were chatting a moment ago, I said you, you, you must also include Africa in that escape. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. Um, I, I, I'm going to go um, uh, great white uh, cage diving. I think South Africa is basically the only place you can do it. Maybe Mexico, but it's quite difficult. I think Australia. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I don't think I'll ever go to Australia again. It's very far away. It's like the mm. arse end of the world. Um, yeah, cage diving, funny enough, I've never done. I've thought about it extensively. I've, I've had some weird philosophical conflicts. Because they, they chum the water and it's not natural, yeah. Yeah, oh, for me, I'm terrified the shark will break in and eat me. But I kind of <laughs> if, if, if I can if I can overcome that fear, I can overcome anything. So that's my thinking. Well, I'm a behavioral scientist, um, which basically means... Uh, I'm involved in understanding why people do things and how to influence their behavior. Uh, so I've been doing this for about 12 or 13 years, uh, running experiments, doing research, all kind of research with facial expressions, personality testing, reaction times, whatever it might be. Um, so having previously worked uh, at Yes, behavioral science consultancies, and I have my own. I was also um, the head of emotion sciences at a biometrics company. Uh, then I was probably most interestingly the lead psychologist at Cambridge Analytica uh, for eight months. Um, and I've worked on political campaigns, really big ones since then. Uh, and then obviously in the last two years had kind of a crisis of conscience about all of this because um, nudging for like getting people to buy Coca-Cola or even getting them to vote for a political candidate. I wouldn't say it's the most ethical thing in the world, but it, I don't think it's evil really but using it to completely restructure society make people stay at home uh which is really really not good for you um and all these other things you know i i like to say i worked at cambridge analytica and behavioral science has become so unethical that even i have a problem with it um so i've kind of been reading into basically what the heck has been going on and trying to figure that out recently Last time when you and I chatted, you said I must call you Pat. Yeah, I actually don't <laughs> like it. <laughs> so so why, did you, why did you ask me to? Um, well, there's a study that says it makes me or people more likable to have a short name or nickname. What is nudging? Uh, so nudging is this idea that we're all what's known as cognitive misers. We have very limited attention spans for uh, processing information, for thinking about information. We have limited time as well. So we really have to navigate this complex world uh, using shortcuts. Uh, we can't think through every decision rationally. It would take mm. forever. It would use too much energy, too much time. So we rely on shortcuts like 
um, if a restaurant is very busy, it must be good. So we'll go to the busy one. If everyone else likes it, then, then I'll go there. Um, because we don't have time to look at every single um, uh, restaurant. Uh, or, you know, I think we talked about this last time uh, and since, but let's say the earth is round, probably a consensus on that, although I'm not 100% myself, but let's say it is round. But how do we know that? None of us have done the experiments or been yeah. in space and seen it, but we rely on the heuristic that if someone in a lab coat told us, it must be true. Um, so nudging is taking these heuristics, these shortcuts, uh, and basically using them to influence behavior. So, uh, for example, evolutionarily speaking, we follow the crowd because if everyone else is doing something, we assume it's safe and the right thing to do. Um, so if you are selling a product online, you can say thousands or millions of people have bought it and you're using that social proof nudge to get people to buy it. It would appear to me that nudging is just part of living. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, our brains are kind of amazing. They do really great functions. And all these so-called biases that we have are actually very advanced and they've evolved over thousands or millions of years. Um, and so every single decision, everything we do every day, we're using uh, these so-called biases, we're using emotion. Um, the problem is when people exploit that and they exploit your trust in them and you're, you're just following them without thinking. When that's exploited for unhealthy, nefarious reasons, that's what the issue is. But um, uh, I was talking to someone and he said that there are three types of people, sheep, sheep dogs, and wolves. And that he was suggesting that people should try and be more like uh, sheep dogs or wolves. Um, but the thing is, everyone is a sheep. You can't not be a sheep because there's so much information and choice. For example, if you're buying a house, you need to get a surveyor to come and look at the house or a solicitor to look at the contracts. You can't do that yourself. So you have to be a sheep and you have to trust that the surveyor and the contractor, the, the solicitor, uh, know what they're talking about and they're giving you good, honest information. Um, so yeah, it's part of the everyday. We're, we're all kind of walking blind throughout most of the day. Um, the problem is when that's exploited. Uh, how would you know? How would you know if you're being exploited? Yeah, or if you're being nudged. Um, well, you can learn about nudges, and when you learn about them, you can potentially spot them in the wild. And there have been some pieces of research where they've kind of developed these games, for example, with email phishing. They do games and see if people can spot the phishing tactics. And, it, and through these games, they learn to spot them and become kind of immune to them and less likely to fall for them. Um, but even so, number one, there's so many, you can't learn them all. Number two, you can't consciously go through life assessing everything rationally. Is this a nudge or not? We just don't have the time or the brain power for that. Um, uh, and number three, even if you spot a nudge, it can still influence you. So it's a bit like an optical illusion where even if you know it's an optical illusion, the line, one line still looks longer than the other one, even though rationally you know that's not the case. You rationally know they're both the same line, uh, the same length, but it still, still influences you. So, yeah, you can't really not be nudged. But then if, if it's so prevalent, then does it even matter? Um, well, basically every form of communication is designed to persuade. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, we can get into this a bit later maybe, but to, to, to spell, 
to 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 put letters in a certain order. Uh, it's the same word as spell, a magic spell, um, which is about using symbols to manifest the reality you want. And that's what communication is. You're using symbols, whether that's the noises you make with your mouth or whether it's writing down letters or whether it's using uh, subconscious visual symbols. You're using symbols to influence people to bring about the reality that you want. Um, that's all communication. The whole purpose really is to change what people think and to change their behavior. Um, so, yeah, it, it happens all the time. It's, it's, it's everywhere. You've spoken about something called chaos magic. Is that right? Yeah. What is that? Uh, I'm not an expert in, in, uh, in that, but, um, it's, I think it's kind of an esoteric way of, uh, conceptualizing a theory that's called disrupt then reframe, um, or the esoteric an esoteric name is also, um, solve a coagula, which means dissolve and then coagulate. Um, so basically, uh, the chaos bit is about breaking down structure and bringing things into a very fluid state, kind of shaking it by breaking it so everything falls apart. Um, and then in that kind of primordial goo, you can reshape it in a certain way. So if you see, for example, uh, Darren Brown, he will do certain things that basically confuse and distract uh, people to break down their critical thinking and then he implants ideas in that kind of fluid state um so yeah that kind of magic chaos magic is about breaking down structure uh, breaking down people's kind of concrete perceptions of reality um so you can uh implant seeds for new things to to emerge does that make sense yeah i'm, I'm sort of i'm sort of thinking now of magicians and yeah that's, I mean, that's what you're describing. Yes. It's, the, it's an illusion. Yes. And kind of the suspension of disbelief, um, which uh, someone described it to me as a temporary autonomous zone is a, is, a, is a way of calling it. But it's this state of paranoia uh, mm. where you, you can see these, um, you're seeing signs and symbols in everything. Um, you're attributing, you're just letting things run freely. There's no kind right. of structure. It's a form of kind of schizophrenia or psychosis in a way. Yeah, you said the word fluidity um, as if it's yeah. a bad thing. Is that right? Um, well, I don't think, you know, everything shades of gray. Uh, things can be both good and bad. Um, fluidity is a state in which people are very pliable. Um, so it's when when society goes into a kind of fluid state um uh well when everything's fluid it's a flood right it's so symbolically a flood is when the old gets washed away and uh, leaves the soil fertile for the for new stuff to regrow um so everything being fluid is kind of chaotic and uh dark uh, and like you can probably tell i think we're going through a very fluid time Everything's fluid, you know, uh, but it what it allows is for new shoots of green to come yes. through. Yes, it's good uh, as well. I think Matthias Desmet um, has has spoken about it, or at least something similar, um, which which he refers to as um, free floating anxiety. Yeah. 
which, which suggests to me that it's that sense of fluidity and people then will are, are more susceptible to grabbing onto something. Yeah, exactly. It's just this very emotional, uh, empty state that makes people very reactive. So it's like nature abhors a vacuum as well. So when people are fluid and, and empty as well, it means the, the same thing, I think. Um, but when people are nihilistic and empty, uh, I think T.S. Eliot said, hollow men, heads filled with straw. Um, that's when people are, yeah, kind of chemically reactive and can be filled up by an ideology. They're basically looking for structure, purpose, meaning. So that's our default state, is to look for structure and meaning. Um, well, that's the age-old that's the age-old um, uh, debate, isn't it? Whether we're inherently good or inherently bad. Do we inherently have darkness and chaos and emptiness inside us, or do we inherently have goodness and beauty and truth? Um, probably a complex mix somewhere in between. What do you think? Uh, I think, yeah, I think um, I would probably agree with what Solzhenitsyn said, uh, that something like uh, good and evil is a dividing line in the heart of every person. And even the, the darkest of hearts is a tiny, tiny glimmer of light. And even in the, the brightest of hearts, there's a little speck of darkness. Um, so I think, I think it's both. Uh, so a bit of yin and yang. Yes, exactly. And they they coexist. They can't exist on their own. Uh, well, I think uh, these two forces, active and passive, kind of underlie everything. Like yin mm. and yang underlies everything. I mean, it, I'm not an expert, so maybe I'm talking rubbish, but it underlies physics um, and chemistry, you know, with uh, positrons and negatrons, whatever. Again, a male and female and so on. Yeah, male and female, even um, uh, in like logic and debating, you have the thesis and the antithesis and mm -hmm. the, in between is the synthesis. So it really underlies the entire universe, this yin and yang thing, I think. I've suddenly realized that everything that I thought I knew is probably not true. Yeah. That creates a huge amount of anxiety. Uh, mm. Or, or do you Why? disagree? Um, I think, yeah, probably it does. It does because um, there's no set path to follow, I think. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so and now you don't know who to trust. You don't know what to do. Um, you're right. It creates a lot of stress and effort and anxiety. Yeah. But that's not a good thing. Uh, no. Not now, but hopefully, eventually in the future, after the flood is over, right? New oh, shoots I... of, of something good that come through. Okay, um, I'm following. Right, like for so example, think, sorry, go on, go on. Well, I think, uh, in my view personally, the lockdowns and everything were kind of a symptom of a sick society. I, I don't think people would have accepted that um, unless things were quite sick. Um, and when people talk about going back to normal, what? I mean, what's normal? Is yeah, that what like does that mean? Transgender children and, and obese supermodels, because we had that weird stuff before lockdown came along, or COVID came along. So, um, yeah, it, it's, I think things have been kind of breaking apart and becoming fluid for a while. Um, and hopefully 
uh, it will be over soon enough, but some good things. Yeah, so what I, sorry, the point I'm making is that things weren't great before. So the fact that uh, things are breaking apart is, and becoming fluid is not necessarily a bad thing in the long term because things should hopefully restructure in a healthier, better way. Um, or it could be a worse way. It could be a dystopia with vaccine passports and everything, but um, I'd like to be optimistic. I don't know about you. So this yeah. this is yeah so this is weird paradox right so you've got all this weird kind of fluidity going on around you and it it forces you to look for meaning and truth yeah yes exactly to look for some kind of purpose uh some kind of uh like eternal kind of rock that you can cling onto in this very stormy sea that we're in at the minute um, which is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, it's mm. probably a good thing. The truth will set you free, um, but freedom is painful. Most people don't want to be free. It's, it's risky, uh, it's effortful, it's lonely. Uh, most people like the comfort of being told what to do. It, it's like that old meme that everyone wants a comforting lie, not the, the painful truth. Is, is freedom chaotic? Uh, well... Uh, yes, I think so. There's uh, Eric Fromm, I think. He wrote Fear of Freedom. Um, and essentially, he said there are two types of freedom. Freedom to and freedom from. Um, so freedom uh, from is about freedom from uh, responsibility. Um, so like doing whatever you want, but kind of abandoning the structure and everything that that gives your life meaning and makes it actually quite simple and pleasant um, if you're told what to do. Uh, and then freedom too, which is the healthier thing, which is the freedom to kind of explore yourself and self-actualize. Um, but ultimately, yes, freedom is is uh, chaotic, I think, um, because there's so much information and choice, as I said, and we can only see Say there's a Gnostics believe there's like a big, huge black veil covering reality, and we can only see through a t tiny pinhole each um, because it's so huge and vast and unknowable. Um, and when you're free, you're basically like on a little boat in the huge stormy Atlantic of this information. Um, so yeah, it's very chaotic. I I say that because just before you and I uh, started recording, I was saying that. Um, living on the African continent, um, you know, comes with a lot of pros and cons. Um, and one of, one of those pros, depending on who's looking, um, is the fact that there is so much failure in terms of, um, the state. Uh, but that, that forces people to become self-reliant and independent in, in many ways. Uh, whereas you have a, in stark comparison, somewhere like Canada, which obviously is a very beautiful country. It's, it works, it's, everything is, everything's working, but it's so efficient that there's a sense of freedom that seems to be lost. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's, um, that's another one of these, I guess, yin and yang things is, is mm. freedom and safety. Um, there's a, there's a philosophical thought experiment. Um, would you rather be uh, Hayden, the composer, and you, you're a human and you live a life that has all these ups and downs, you know, some of it's great, some of it's horrible, friends die and so on, and you'll catch illnesses and eventually you'll get sick and die. 
Um, or would you rather be an oyster uh, inside a shell and you're completely safe and you live for hundreds of years um, and it's just completely mild, flat sensation forever? Uh, so would you rather be free with all the risk and the, the ups and downs and the pain uh, or would you rather be completely safe? Um, and it seems like most people want to be locked down in their safe spaces these days. That's a very interesting uh, thought experiment. Can I give you a thought experiment that my wife and I were chatting about, which almost completely relates to what you were just saying? Um, so everybody has pets and everybody grows bonds with their pets. I lost a, a very dear pet recently, and it was really tough to to get to get past. And I asked my wife, for those few years that we had the pet, was it worth it? Because the pain and suffering that comes afterwards when you get the pet you know it's going to die at some point so you could just refrain from owning it altogether so that you don't go through that through that trauma later on or you go through the trauma later on because you want to have that experience and we both agreed it was worth it mm -hmm. yeah yeah why why well i mean there's a there's a rational answer that the the sum pleasure you know, the utilitarian answer that the sum pleasure and joy that you got from having the pet uh, outweighed the trauma and grief mm. from when the, the pet died. Um, so I guess that's kind of the rational answer. Um, but then there's a perhaps more spiritual answer that you loved your pet and you wouldn't want to have lived without it. And in, yeah. in, in a weird way, that seems to drive everything. Love. Mm. You are optimistic. <laughs> well, I mean, because what is the what is the opposite of it? Is would be what hatred. Yeah, I I'm not so sure hatred really exists personally. Oh, uh, what do you mean? Oh, I I don't know. I don't know that. I can't really think of people who really are like motivated by hating things. You know, that it's usually motivated by fear or. Uh, justice or love, as you say, but like actually, you know, ah, just just pure anger and, and hatred. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong, but I just don't. That's that. interesting. Yeah, that's interesting because I mean, do you think Stalin starved his population because he because he hated them? No, you're probably probably right. It's not because he hated them. He thought probably that there is there is a goal that he was seeing and. And that outweighed, you know, the millions of deaths that was going to come. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He was motivated by some kind of, um, some kind of love for maybe some group of his people or some kind of love for an ideal. Um, I might be wrong. Maybe he was as sadistic and mm. enjoyed death and destruction as possible. But I think that's quite a small, small uh, segment of the population who's motivated by that. If I think about animals. I don't think animals hate, but they no, certainly exactly. but but they certainly do love. Yeah, and maybe they can be motivated by anger, but then that anger again it comes from a place of maybe of weakness and fear, or it comes from a place of uh, jealousy and wanting to mm. protect what you have. So I, I just I just don't think there's a motivation of pure just negative hatred for the sake of it. I sure, we're an easy way of of dismissing people you don't like is to say oh they're they're hateful they're bad people mm. what is that uh, in your in your view how do we navigate 
um, the fog of propaganda and lies and deceit. Mm. Well, I'm I'm trying to find some answers currently. I think um, being educated is great. I think Jefferson Jefferson said uh, if you educate people, tyranny will disappear like spirits at the break of the day. Um, mm. So, so learning propaganda when you spot it um, and, be, and kind of immunizing yourself, as it were, against it uh, is mm. useful. Um, in general, making yourself more rational and kind of uplifting your vibration, as it were, is good. I mean, uh, a really kind of esoteric example is like listen to classical music rather than heavy metal. I say that as someone who listens to a lot of heavy metal, but there's just uh, just try and raise your vibration, as it were, to a more conscious and rational place rather than this more emotional reactive place and so uh, there's all sorts of things that can be done uh, reading uh, consuming less emotional content to try and cut down on social media uh, TV um, ideally don't watch porn at all um, and uh, read because reading is very good for your kind of rational reflective mind um, yeah, just try and stop yourself being bombarded with emotion. Um, and this can be uh, delivery, you know, that sloth and gluttony, stuffing your face with uh, burgers and mm. fries. Anything that keeps you in this emotional state uh, makes you more pliable and reactive. And then, of course, as we were saying, try and find some meaning and purpose, uh, something solid to cling on to. It doesn't have to be faith, but, um, you know, in, in AA, they call it a higher power. Just something that's bigger than yourself. It can be a community, a family, and an idea, philosophy. Uh, obviously, it can be a religion or faith, but just something, um, or just having like a hobby. You know, a lot of these people, you know, the the people on Twitter. I think they just don't have anything in their lives. If they just had a hobby, <laughs> then if they had their own business to concern themselves with, they wouldn't mind be poking their nose into other people's business. Um, and then the other thing is. Uh, yeah, just unplug um, as much as possible. Try and stay away from the propaganda. Uh, it's like if you're a food critic and you're eating McDonald's every day and going, mm, yeah, it's really bad food with, uh, I can tell the, the salt and the chemicals. You're still eating McDonald's every day. And it's the same, even if you're kind of watching the news and uh, modern culture critically and being like, this is awful, they're brainwashing us. You are still letting that information into your brain and your soul. Um, so just try and unplug as much as possible. But. That's a really good point. In other words, don't play on their turf. Exactly, yeah. The um, the only dogs that Pavlov couldn't condition were the ones who didn't pay attention to the bell in the first place. They just ignored it and did their own thing. So try and be like those those stubborn dogs and just ignore the bell. Um, I, I found with, I don't know what you, you feel about monkeypox, but um, I found it kind of like... <laughs> I was lying in bed and it was like bouncing around in my head, like monkeypox, monkeypox. I realized I was kind of falling under this spell, as it were. Um, and I just need to stop thinking about it, stop reading about it. It's nothing, it's a waste of time. Well, <laughs> if you want me to answer your question, I don't think at all about it. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Exactly. I, I, don't think it, I don't think it is anything. I think it's just a propaganda campaign. <laughs> I think it's very, very intelligently crafted. Um, it's very sticky as a meme, you know, obviously it's emotional and visual monkeypox and it's, mm. it's activating disgust with the pictures of the balls in a way that coronavirus couldn't. Um, so I don't know if it's deliberate or it's just evolved that way, but it's a very sticky 
uh, spell, if you want to call it, or it's style. Yeah. What has been your biggest red pull in the last two and a half years? Mm. Uh, I'd, I'm trying to be careful what I say, obviously. Um, don't want to look too, <laughs> too crazy or controversial. <laughs> You're safe. You're safe with me. Okay. Um, and the public? I think maybe I'll be happy to come out of the closet, so to speak, and say, I have some serious reservations about the moon landing at this point. Uh, what they, they, they sent people up there 50 years ago to play golf and to drive around in go-karts in the vacuum of space, and they haven't been able to do it in the last 50 years. Oh, let's have a look at the telemetry data. Oh, you lost it. Oh, that's moving it. <laughs> but I'm not saying it was, it was fake. I just have some serious questions, and no, no. that makes me think. Uh, because so much of what we think of as reality just comes from these screens. Mm. And people think that we've been to the moon because they saw it on screens. And, and that really kind of shifted everything about my perception. Um, how much of this is even real? But I've just, I have all these images and this idea of reality is just from seeing it on screens. Um, so I think the, the biggest weapon to come out of World War II was not the atomic bomb, but the television. Uh, like mass media is just such a huge that's how you control people it's not through through weapons it's through through their minds and their hearts um so probably yeah i would say starting to have misgivings about the moon landing to put it pragmatically is the biggest one that is extremely diplomatic i don't believe they went to the moon at all but the problem the problem isn't so much about whether or not they went to the moon as you as you pointing out it's the fact that You've believed something for so long, and it's such a paradigm shift. And if if it is true that they didn't go to the moon, right, then your immediate next question is, well, what else is not true? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it can be anything. So I, I think uh, today I was thinking about recently I've thought that the split is not left versus right. It's centralized versus decentralized. Yeah. I'm starting to wonder if actually it's... Uh, fantasy versus reality so people who are completely plugged into this screen-based world which is getting increasingly divorced from reality um you may as well say that night can be day it's just not true but you have these people moving more and more into this fantasy world and i had a real epiphany there was a storm here called storm eunice or eustace or something a few months ago and on the screens say on the news on the tv uh it was like red alert red alert big storm one person dead uh, I had emails from, from work places saying, don't come in, there's storm, danger, danger. And so this was like the fantasy screen-based world. And then I look out the window and it's a little bit windy. There's some trees rustling and that's the reality of it. Um, so mm. it, it feels like there's this, maybe this cleave between these people who are increasingly plugged into this crazy nonsense upside down world of screens uh, versus people who are more rooted in actual reality. It's like the, it's it's as if the Matrix was a documentary. Mm-hmm. I I read this really mind blowing review that said the Matrix is a movie that the Matrix would make about itself. <laughs> <laughs> because the characters never actually leave the Matrix. How objective is reality? I've also thought about that. Um, I mean, if you if you're taking acid, for example, um, your your sense of reality changes. Uh. Yeah, well, 
Yes. I'm, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm qualified to answer that question. I know that acid kind of adds noise to, to your perception, and so it mm -hmm. amplifies certain things and adds noise, so you see things that aren't there. Um, but it's something to do with serotonin, uh, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, we have these imperfect these imperfect uh, organs that we sense reality through, but even though our perception of it might not be objective, I still do personally believe that truth is objective. Mm. Uh, we're just kind of clumsily trying to find it in the dark, but it does exist. But that's why I was asking you earlier, you know, how, how does one navigate? Mm. Because uh, in the yeah. last couple of years, you've now you don't even know. Now you hear about a massacre that's, that supposedly happened in Ukraine. But then you watch James Corbett and you go, well, uh, okay, maybe it was theater. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when, when that stuff started breaking up, BBC was saying one thing, Russia Today was saying another thing. Who, how am I supposed to know to believe? I'm not inclined to believe the BBC particularly, especially after the last few years. Um, I, yeah, I mean, people obviously have struggled with this for many thousands of years and they've written... Mm -hmm religious texts. <laughs> I'm not a particularly religious person, uh, though I have faith, but um, I, it feels like these are basically handbooks that are written to help us navigate this crazy world. Do you think there is an exit? Well, there's, 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 yeah, no, going, but, there's no going back to normal. Um, well, normal, I guess, is just what most people are doing, is what the norm is. Um, and that shifts, certainly. But that it does it's not necessarily connected to objective truth in any way uh, and a really eye-opening and comforting book for me was uh fahrenheit 451 491 um uh where basically even if all of the books of the world are destroyed the truths that were in those book uh in those books are eternal it doesn't matter if people know them or not um the truth is still the truth and it, it always will be so what's normal and what's true uh, are not necessarily um, connected. So yeah, what's normal changes constantly is shifting. Do you think? Do you think that the majority of people will remain being um, sheep voluntarily? Uh, yes. Yeah. I mean, like I said, we all have to in some way. Like I said, with the 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 surveyor and the solicitor for buying a house, you have to be a sheep to their their sheepdog. Um, but yeah, I mean, for most, I think there is also, however, a distinction between the sheep and the wolves. And uh, I think, you know, people like us are probably more on the wolf side. Um, and most people are very comfortable being told what to do and not thinking mm. for themselves and not, not being uh, a little bit disagreeable and, and grumpy and non-cooperative. Uh, it's, it's comforting. It's like uh, kind of regression in a way going back mm. to childhood mummy and daddy look after you don't have to worry about anything uh, they kind of have that relationship i think with the establishment do you think that's a good place to be uh for for people on average to be in that sort of state of of questioning of um what is true or, or do you think it's or do you think ignorance is bliss it's a really interesting question because i'm i'm doing some research for something at the minute um, around how people are obviously brainwashed um, and I've been doing some experiential stuff like I joined a cult 
quite a big one. I don't, I'm a bit scared to name them because they're very litigious and quite scary. So you can probably guess who it is. So I did the personality <laughs> test and all that stuff. Um, and one of the things that actually um, characterizes cults is a state of paranoia. Um, and uh, we've seen that in the last two years as well, obviously, but a very, very paranoid state. Uh, again, where nothing is fluid, but you can't trust anyone. There's no structure except within the confines of this group. Um, so they were insanely paranoid, uh, asking me all these questions, checking out my, my backstory. Uh, they did these weird things like spelling my name wrong. Every time they wrote my name down, they'd spell it wrong in a different way. Um, and it made me feel paranoid. It's a very paranoid kind of vibe in the building. Um, so paranoia is how people get brainwashed, um, partly how. But on the other hand, of course, if you're not going to question things, then you're just going to get swept along with the flow. Um, so I think, again, it, it's not necessarily a binary thing. Uh, it, it is very good to question things and to 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 be critical. Um, but at the same time, if you go too far, that's where you get into kind of QAnon uh, territory, like reading special signals and dates that of 4chan posts, that kind of thing. It's very interesting because, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I was very very inspired by uh, Peter Bogosian back in 2019. Um, he wrote a phenomenal book called How to Have Impossible Conversations. And uh, he was part of a of an experiment with um, James Lindsay and Helen Pluckrose, I think, uh, where they basically trolled the peer review system. Yes. And it was brilliant and extremely funny. But something he said to me which I've never forgotten is that everybody everybody thinks that they're correct. Yeah. So so everybody holds a view that they believe to be the better view. Nobody deliberately chooses the incorrect view. Everyone believes their beliefs. Yes. Yes. And they hold a view that they think is correct. Yeah. So so with that in mind, you end up with everybody thinking that they have got the correct view on things. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't seem to be about what is true, but more about what what one believes. Yeah. And, and beliefs also can serve a psychological uh, function. Um, you can believe certain things because uh, life would be unbearable if you didn't believe it. Um, I don't. I mean, for example, if talking about serial killers, I don't know if you ever watched these documentaries um, about serial killers. But whenever there's a witness who finds a body in the woods, uh, most of the time, what do they say? Uh, oh, I thought it was a dummy. I thought it was a mannequin. Um, as if someone would half bury a mannequin in the middle of the woods. But the brain wouldn't let them believe this shocking truth because it's too harmful. Um, it's too traumatic and, and stressful. So people believe things, but mostly because it's, uh, or some of the time, because it's, it's healthy for them. It serves some kind of function for them to believe their belief. Some people's beliefs obviously are true. Um, let's not say everyone's irrational and crazy, but people do believe true things as well. Um, and also beliefs um, often follow from behaviors. So people think that your beliefs drive your behaviors, but actually so sometimes it's the other way around. Uh, where your behaviors drive your beliefs. Um, so there was one 
there was one study where they had people wear some headphones and they were told to move their head to, to test the fit of the headphones. Half of the participants were told to go like this while they were listening to the headphones and half of them to, to shake their head like no. And then they were asked afterwards how much they agreed with some, some statements which they had been hearing through the headphones. Yes. And the people who had been made to nod their head, yes, uh, agreed more with the statements <laughs> they, had been, they had been hearing. And this is one of those psychological studies that's been replicated, uh, so it's not one of the goofy ones. Um, so basically their beliefs followed their behaviors, not the other way around. It makes me think that we're living in one giant Milgram experiment. Pretty much. It's just an arms race to try and uh, influence behavior to, as I was saying before, to bring about your, what you want reality to be. You're, you're manipulating people to manifest your reality. Um, George Soros, I think, has a theory kind of like this called reflectivity um, about how to manipulate the markets. Um, so like a really basic example is if you bring out a new uh, crypto coin, uh, if you want it to be really valuable, or if you want it to sell a lot, then you go around saying, oh, this coin's really popular, everyone's buying it, it's really valuable. You sow, you sow that perception, then that perception drives the behavior, and it becomes self-reinforcing. Um, so everything, yeah, is about manipulating reality. Well, that's nudging, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, yeah. But nudging is just a new term for something that's existed forever, really. But it's subtle. Uh, nudging, yeah, it's subtle. Um, so the idea of nudging is that you make these very small changes and they have a big effect over big populations and, and over a long time. I think there was an experiment done with cars and their windshields or something and it had to do with the, the cracks or the, the marks on it caused by stones and things. And I, don't, I can't remember the, 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 whole, the whole experiment, but once people were aware of it, suddenly everybody saw it and it was reported that there was an increase yeah. of, of cracks on windshields. But yeah. all that happened was people were made aware of it. That's all. It, exactly. was, always, it was always like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so I, I, I wondered how talking about illness every day on the news and putting that again, that spell, that hypnosis, whatever on people, every day ringing around symptoms, illness, sickness, death, that's probably going to make people a little bit sick, at least at least psychologically, and you're bringing it to people's minds. So someone who maybe is just having an allergic reaction to hay fever, they're going to, because COVID is mentally available, because it's mentally salient, they might reinterpret that as as COVID. Um, and we've there's research on this showing that doctors are more likely to diagnose someone as having a, a like a famous, well-known disease rather than a rare one. Um, so yeah, it's all about kind of bringing things up onto people's minds. But, I mean, it's easy to think that a lot of that is nefarious, but is perhaps a lot of it also just emergent? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, is all of this happening as some kind of natural cycle and just evolving? Um, when, when people talk about kind of Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab and so on, I, I don't think they're great people, but having been inside the Cambridge Analytica scandal, I can see how stories kind of spin wildly out of control that aren't really true. And people come up with, yeah, conspiracy theories that, that aren't really re related to reality. Um, and I had someone, like, when I used to 
posts and things, uh, anti-lockdown things. I had someone comment on the tweet. He put my name through a gematria calculator, and he'd written like Patrick Fagan equals forty-five Masonic number question mark. I was like, you don't. So it's not even a Masonic number, but he's so he's so paranoid. Um, yeah. What you're saying is, you if 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 you look hard enough, you can find anything. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Even with sorry, with with Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab, maybe maybe that maybe people are kind of looking for stuff that's not necessarily there. But it's kind of hard then when Klaus Schwab is saying we need to control the future. Mm. Uh, I, yeah, I don't think they're good people, but I think we maybe imbue them with more power than they actually have. That that's a personal conflict of mine also. Um, is is where is that that balance um is everything by design or is it is there some combination of design and emergence going on um in all these in all these uh things because it's very easy to to fall into the trap of well everything's nefarious yeah you know there was one lie so therefore everything's a lie mm-hmm. and it's it is attractive. But I, there's probably an ele- element of truth to it as well. Again, I think it's shades mm. of grey. Um, I, I, mm. my, my personal hunch is that they're kind of exploiting uh, natural forces and trends that are already happening. Um, I don't think they're necessary. I think they're amplifying it and pushing it along in, their, in, their, in a way that benefits them. But I, I wouldn't... I don't think they're kind of these genius architects who are designing and controlling everything. And I think it's very important to to try and remember that because if everything is by design and nefarious, then you really don't have a reason to get up in the morning mm-hmm. because what's the point? Um, you that sense of optimism and hope has to has to shine, even if it's a yep. little light. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, I think that's potentially something, again, that less manipulatable people have is some kind of faith that everything's okay um, and everything will be okay in the long run. What do you think? Are you, what is your outlook? Is it fairly pessimistic? Uh, so I, I'm a subscriber to the idea of cycles. I think we're in winter at the minute, um, but spring is hopefully... Uh, a few short years away, so lots to look forward to eventually, but let's just try and survive the uh, the war, starvation and death. <laughs> That's probably coming <laughs> in, the, in the short term. You should, I think you should, I, yeah. It, most, people, most people survived World War II, and it was a very dark time in history, but I think like 90% of Brits, for example, Sorry, ninety-five percent of Brits survived it, and that's ninety percent of working of fighting age men or something. Most people survive these things, so just try and relax and not and not get kind of too emotional uh, because that's when you're viable. So, so we're talking about the cycle. Uh, the word secular comes from cyclum, meaning cycle, um, and obviously secular is in contrast to having some kind of faith. Um, so. I think really, if you look after your spiritual health, um, everything else will be okay. Because that's the main thing: is if you're able to be stoic, and and you know you can choose what kind of reality you have. Ultimately, you can choose to be happy and healthy mm. and productive or not. 
Um, so that's like the main thing. And then after that, I'd say buy land, buy gold, buy home defense stuff, just hunker down and, and just know that it will pass, but um, just, just cling on to something until then. Are you a crypto fan? Uh, I dabble, yeah. It's an interesting concept because, again, it's it's being plugged in. Yeah, and it's also like I was talking about fantasy versus reality. It's just uh, it's just nonsense numbers. It's, it, there's no actual intrinsic value to it. I mean, you can say the same about fiat currency as well, but um, it's not reality. So that's why my preference is to buy land, cars, gold like luxury handbags, anything that's physical. Uh, invest in wine or whiskey as well. Ah, wine. good man. Mm. Good man. You get really I, good returns on wine, apparently. Um, I, I drank recently um, a wine from 1978. How was and, it? Uh, it was okay. <laughs> the, uh, I think it had aged a bit too much, but it wasn't, it wasn't vinegary. It was oh. still drinkable, but it, it wasn't, fantastic yeah i think i think that aged wine trope might be a little bit overplayed yeah i suppose so. again it's a it's a spell isn't it if if we're told that it's uh um spell is a kooky word to say it's psychological is we're told that it's valuable if it's old mm. uh people like wine more if it's in an expensive bottle than a cheap bottle even if it's the same wine um so yeah i suppose so but at least it's like tangible at least you can hold it in your hand unlike um currency or crypto in front of you there's a crystal ball what do you see uh well immediately my my dinner uh <laughs> <laughs> that's good enough <laughs> yeah no like i said i mean i think i think we talked may have said this last time there's uh the light at the end of the tunnel is probably a freight train but um after that, there is light. Uh, so I see a nice future where it's decentralized, uh, where the true useless eaters are the politicians and the oligarchs who we don't need anymore because we can grow our own food, we can govern ourselves, etc. Um, so I see quite an optimistic future, um, but I don't think they're going to let go easily. That's just going to be a bit painful getting there. Where can people follow you? Uh, I have a Twitter, which I have protected for work reasons, but I'll be opening it up again. So feel free to, uh, to add me. It's pfagan87. Oh, is that it? Um, yeah, on Twitter. I mean, I have a website as well, hmm. uh, patrickfagan.co.uk. Um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> no Facebook or Instagram or anything like that? Uh, yeah, I have Instagram if you want to see pictures of my uh, holidays. Uh, you're very welcome to also add me. It's also pfagan87 uh, and uh, LinkedIn is for more kind of businessy stuff. You can find me on there. Pictures of your holidays are certainly better than pictures of your lunch. Yeah, that's true. Unless it's a very good lunch. <laughs> Patrick Fagan, thank you for joining me in the trenches. Thank you. Don't go anywhere. My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, Battle of Ideas. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.